2: sadak tv voice of the cincinnati reds and you're up for late night reds talk
3: what is going on everybody i hope you enjoyed all our new cool gadgets welcome to late night reds talk live it is wednesday night and you know what that means a very fun evening our debut on the believe podcast network and we have an excellent guest as we celebrate the 31st anniversary of the 1990 world series team who clinched on this day 31 years ago I am Tim Daniel. Very stoked to be here, as always. Hello, the Twitterverse, the Facebookverse, who were able to check the show out for the first time live. Without going on to YouTube, also the YouTubers, welcome. But always, let's get to introduce our excellent panel. Starting with staff writer for Red Light Nation himself, Nick Kirby.
4: What is going on, everyone? How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Doing great. Hopefully, we don't uh, mess this uh, new new gadgets <laughs> up tonight. Bear yeah. with us.
3: Please give us reviews if you guys like it. You know, let us know how you think if you think it's the process. Also, as always, former big league pitcher, Mr. Carlos Guevara. What's
1: going on, boys? Happy playoffs.
3: Yeah, it's the playoffs. How you how you liking it so far?
1: All right. Like I, I, uh, I appreciate a little um number ones versus number ones going on in the playoffs, but Astros and Red Sox are giving us what they're giving us and it's still all right.
3: Yeah, I, I'm with you. And also, we're really excited for the first time joining us. He has written, funny enough, 1990s Wire to Wire, talking about the night, in fact, those 1990 World Series champions to say, Reds, and the classic, 100 Things Reds fans should know and do before they die. Statistician himself, Joel Lockup, welcome to Late Night Reds
2: Talk Live. Uh, it should be noted, too, that uh, the second book there has the forward by Dusty Baker, who um... Very well, could be world champion Dusty Baker by the end. That's of this right. Year. So, yeah, yeah, that might that might bump some some extra uh, book sales for me. You know, buy me a couple cups of coffee or something. Yeah,
3: absolutely. You can check those books out on Amazon if you guys do not have them yet. And if you don't have them yet, you're not really a Reds fan.
2: Yeah, pretty much.
3: <laughs> well, Joel, we're so stoked to have you, man. We're so excited you finally had some time to join us. I know, obviously, we'd love to be talking about the Reds still playing baseball right now. Um, but like we said, we got you here. It's the 31st anniversary of the night they clinched the 1990 world series. You obviously did a ton of detail on that, on that team in your book. Uh, the chapter about Billy Hatcher getting traded the, the day, his child was born. He didn't know where he was traded. It's one of my all time favorite things ever placed in a book. <laughs> um, it's kind of like when you look back now, you know, obviously it's been a while since the books come out, but it's also been a while since that world championship. How do you feel now today? looking back on all the research and all the sudden you did, putting that together. You know what?
2: It was such a, um, it, it came together so quickly. Uh, kind of the story of how it happened was uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the timeline. It was about October of 2009 um, that I decided, you know what? I feel like writing a book and I want to try to write a book about the, the 1990 team. And so I started, I had a relationship built up with John Harardi already. So I started talking to him about it and about how, um, you know, if he had any advice for me or whatever, and uh, it, it, it turned into him saying, you know what, I want to write that book too. So, and it was a good thing that he barged in because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and, and the fact that he, you know, was able to join on in writing the book um, really taught me a lot about the whole writing process. Uh, but also it allowed us to actually get access then to the team because the team came in for that. Um, the team came in for the, wait, I'm, I'm trying to remember the dates. They came in for Reds Fest that year. That's what it was. So yeah. the team came in for Reds Fest and it was pretty much the whole squad. And so we were able to have time to sit around and talk with the players. And, and to be honest, uh, if I had done that on my own, um it would have been a terrible book even if i had had access to the players because i asked stupid questions just dumb dumb questions um and so having john there to really who who uncovered the team while it happened uh really uh made the book actually uh what it was um and i kind of just came went along for the ride and uh, threw in some interesting stats i mean i wrote some of it it wasn't just uh you know i he let me write some of the chapters and then he would go back and Fix where I was a, wasn't a particularly good writer, and then, um, but you know, it, it. I was very fortunate that John decided to he wanted to be involved in the book as well. Otherwise, it it would not have been a success without it.
3: There's so many like for those who haven't read it. I'm not trying to play spoiler by any means. I guess it's been out a while. It's mm. just like it's been, talking about.
2: Been, I mean, the book's been out for over a decade. The the actual team was over 30 years ago, so yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, talking about the ending of Ghostbusters 2 at this point, you know, yeah. everyone knows what happened. Um, one of the cool stories in there that I really laughed at was, it, you know, I might kind of have the details a little fuzzy, is Lou Pinnell and Pete Rose's first interaction post Lou taking the job. I guess right. they like bumped into each other somewhere and they were he was like, I guess I'll manage your ball club next year. Like, I thought that was pretty fascinating.
2: Yeah, you know what? Lou had a real good way about um kind of de-escalating situations and i think this the story was and i may and again i haven't looked at this story the story is in a long time so i may get some details wrong but i think lou and tom browning were or not lou um pete and tom browning were playing golf and lou happened to be at the same golf course and uh, i thought it was yeah and lou said uh lou walked by and said pete i'm looking forward to coaching your team now he, he had the advantage to be able to say that because it wasn't the team that decided to get rid of Pete, it was the league. And so it wasn't like he could, you know, he wouldn't have said that if the team had, you know, if the team had fired Pete and then he'd be all right, you know, so he was still kind of playing that, you know, this would be your team had it not been for, you know, your other stuff. (laughs) We could keep it there. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, So kind of, shifting to the other book. So you wrote your part. And like you just mentioned, you were really author for a hundred things. Reds fans should no and do before they die. So this is kind of like a series. Like I've seen like ever, just about every professional sports franchise and kind of has had this, uh, you know, I've, I've seen the, the Lakers one, I've seen, you know, different MLB teams, the Yankees, the Red Sox, etc. So in that process, was it like they came, does, does the company go to you and say, Hey, we've gotten all these other books. How did that work for you? Um,
2: to be honest, they went to John Arardi first. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he he didn't want to. He it, it, whatever was going on at that point in time, he wasn't ready to. Do, he wasn't able to do something like that. Um, and again, that was a that was another quick turnaround. I think i I signed the contract for that in in March and had it turned in by the end of the end of the season. After while, also working as a statistician all throughout the season. So. Um, that was a, a pretty challenging year, but it was, I mean, it was a good year for the Reds for the most part, but it was a pretty challenging year in terms of the the work that I had to do that year. Um, but it was, uh, the, you know, they, they had a structure already that they used, um, but they left, the structure was there, but they left the, the, um, what I wanted to put into the book was completely up to me. And, um, and so it was, you know, a lot of I put I basically wrote down everything I could think of for the Reds, um, any topic I could think of. And then um, actually sat down, probably went out to dinner a couple times with um, John Arardi and Greg Rhodes, who's the Reds historian, uh, Greg Gages, who has written at Red Lake Nation before. And um, they the, the three of them are kind of the uh, unofficial Reds documenteers, if that's even a word. Uh, you know, John O'Rourke and Greg Rhodes have uh, two or three of the finest books ever written about the Reds. Um, they wrote the, the original story of the first uh, Red Stockings team. They wrote the um, official, I mean, the, the true uh, history of Crosley Field. Um, and they also have a book. Uh, they wrote a book about the Big Red, Big Red Machine, which is, in my eyes, is the, the best most well-written book about the Big Red Machine um, of of the few that I've read. Now I won't admit to every, I won't say that I've read all of them, <laughs> but uh, it it is a uh, it is my favorite out of all of them. So getting to sit down with those guys who who really knew Red's history better than anybody and hash out what ideas should go in the book and what shouldn't um, really helped helped me to uh, you know hone in on what i wanted to write about Then,
3: nice that's awesome so obviously now we're going to talk a little bit more about your 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 day-to-day job with the reds as a statistician mm-hmm. and last week we had your pal john sadek on big friend of the program we that are guy. We're, that yeah guy. and i asked him I mean, you might have saw in the highlight clip nick put together for last week's episode i asked mm-hmm. him if you actually have like a database or if you know everything off the top of your head and he said that you know everything that you display off the top of your head. Can you confirm this fact? That, that is so <laughs> much
2: that is so much. So you know what's funny is anytime I do one of these little interviews, any or podcasts, I always worry that somebody's gonna want me to tell them my favorite stat off the top of my head. Let's be honest. I, I look stuff up. I mean, I always I always am looking stuff up. Um, the advantages that I have is I'm pretty fast at looking stuff up. And, uh, and like John said, I'm, I'm pretty good at anticipating what needs to be looked up. Um, and so that's, I think, what, you know, what I'm pretty good at. Uh, but otherwise, I, I mean, yeah, I know a lot of Red's history and I know um, a lot. Uh, I, I have an advantage that because it's my job. I can spend time paying attention to things that people don't have time to sit around and pay attention to. So I get a lot of esoteric data and, and statistics that, um that other people don't don't even think to look up because you know they don't they don't pay that close in detail to the to what's going on with the team.
3: Without giving away all your secrets and tricks of the trade. Is a lot of it like fan graphs and baseball reference? Do you go deeper than like baseball savant?
2: Um I don't do a lot of baseball savant because in my experience the context of the stuff that comes from baseball savant um depends on the announcer wanting to be able to say it because it's not something that you can just plop down in front of a guy. Now, I mean, if they're talking about, uh, you know, somebody's velocity or, you know, Hey, this guy's been hitting the ball well lately, then I might go and look up something relevant to that. Um, But I don't, um, I don't typically use a lot of baseball savant unless the, unless they ask me to look up something for them it's not that I don't like the site. It's just that, you know, if I, if I gave somebody a note that's um, you know, the last 10 pitches that he's hit have been, you know, whatever, I don't know. Um, it, it depends on whether or not that's something they want to talk about. And so I, I, I don't tend to go there. It's a lot of baseball reference. Um, I do have a retro sheet database on my computer uh, that I use for searching Um I uh, also have access to sport radar through uh, our through job, uh, through the work. So um, those three together are pretty much what I do most of my research on. And it just depends on the nature of the question. Um, they each have their strengths and they each have some deficiencies. And so they kind of fill it, each of the three little uh, databases kind of fill in the gaps.
3: Absolutely. I'll bring Carlos and Nick back in here uh, cause for this question, because you mentioned you're really good with the anticipation and preparation for stats. And this has been a hot topic this off season, obviously. Do you feel that the way things are going for his career, that Joey Votto could end up being the all-time home run leader and how confident are you? He will, by the time his Reds career is over.
2: Well, coming into the season, I said, no way. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we all did right. You know, um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think it's quite possible. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, you know, kind of guy that can put probabilities on things. So um, I'll say this much. He's going to finish at least second. (laughs) um, Yeah, he he could catch him, but it it really, age is such a, a nasty thing. Um, and you know, we all get old and we all get slower and, uh, you know, I, I, look at players like Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera, both of whom were better hitters than Joey Votto in their primes. Um, and both of whom fell off and couldn't find it again. And that's where I thought Votto was. So I was completely shocked that he was able to do what he did this year. Uh, and, and, and not only that, that he was able to do it in a fashion that looked natural and easy i know it wasn't easy i know he worked at it but it wasn't look it wasn't like it, it almost was like a, a switch flipped and things worked for him all of a sudden and so it's really hard to say well when he comes back next year for somebody who works as hard at his craft when he comes back next year is that switch still going to be able to flip on and that's what i can't predict so I'm I'm giving you a wishy washy, I don't know. That's fine. <laughs> That's
3: totally fine. I guess the beauty of having Carlos around is he's like, you know, I, he won't say it, but Carlos was like a couple weeks was like, he wants it. He won't say he wants it, but oh. he wants it.
2: Yeah. I, I I totally believe that he wants to retire feeling like he was the greatest ever to put on a Reds uniform. And and the number one way to do that is to lead in as many statistics. Obviously, he's not gonna catch Pete and hits. Um but otherwise, you know, he. I think he really. I think he's driven by wanting by that. I th- I have always, and I don't know him, Carlos. You know him, so um, maybe you can comment on this. But I've always got the impression that his legacy has always been important to him.
1: So, Do you think that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he's been that way since since we were younger. You know, it's not that that he cared what other people necessarily thought about him, but he just wanted to be able, like, number one, to leave an impression and for that impression to be, you know, nothing but positive. And that and it kind of – it's that way on the baseball field too. You know, he's always wanted to to be the best on the team. He's always wanted to be the best in the league. And, you know, take that a step further than, you know, he wants to be the best all time for the Reds. So, I mean, yeah, he's, I think he's, he's driven pretty well for these last couple of years.
2: Uh, and similarly i i think making the hall of fame is important to him too and he may never admit to that but i i suspect that he he deep down in his soul wants to see his name up there with with the greatest of all time
4: for sure i think yeah. it, i think he'll definitely i am mean, not definitely i think he's got a really good chance of breaking the extra base hit record i think we've talked about that before i think he's a little closer in that Um, it's just, I think it's just, it's going to come down to health. And when you're at that age, there's just, there's no guarantees, you know, injuries happen for most players, you know, typically more frequently, you know, when you're, when you're older. So I think that's as much to do with it as anything. I think if he plays full season or close to it the next two years, you know, I think he's got a really good chance. It's just how healthy is he able to stay. And the, I mean,
2: a, an interesting thing about him is now with his new style, he does things like foul the ball off his foot, which he never used to do. And so, you know, or uh, when he got hit on the hand, uh, Chris Welsh and I sat there and tried to think, has he ever been hit on the hands before? Like, or around the wrist? Like, we couldn't, we could not think of a time, and it may have happened. And he just never, he didn't get hurt. But like, we just couldn't think of a time where he, would get hit up and in like that. And it's, you know, because he's committing to the swing a lot earlier
4: and it's going to happen. those kinds of things are going to happen. And pitchers are a little, you know, more wild, just in, in nature too. So the combination of those two things, the, we're see, we're seeing a lot of, of, uh, of wrist injuries lately. And I, I think, I don't think that's just a coincidence. I think it's just, you know, the style of, of, you know, all or nothing with, with pitchers. Right. But can we –
2: Can we? I know you've probably done this already, but can we marvel at the fact that he hit
4: 36 home runs oh my and gosh, missed a man. month? Yeah. What was that? <laughs> I had the pace going at some point. I mean, what, what was what that 162? That's probably what, like 44 home runs? I mean, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's – yeah. <laughs> I
2: mean, it's just ridiculous for a guy that – what did he hit, like 30 over the last two seasons combined, if that? I don't remember. Yeah. See, see that I'm was telling room- you. I don't know this stuff off the top of my head. It was 26. I just looked it up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then that whole time he missed a uh, spring training, he basically had no spring training and yep. you know, he's a slow starter to begin with. So April was, was brutal. I mean, the hard hit rate was there, but
2: yeah. Well, especially cause he was hitting the ball so hard and nothing was happening for him.
1: Yeah. That's what usually, those are the conversations that we usually have over spring training. He's like, man, I'm I'm crushing the ball. It's right at people, but it's there. It's getting close. It's getting close. And this year, those conversations were happening like mid to late April. Like, No, man, it's, it's getting there. It's close. I'm almost yeah. there. And then when the, whenever it got here, it just got hit in the hand. Yeah. Whew.
3: Yeah, that's a good point you mentioned, though, Nick, because, I mean, the Reds alone, you know, Vado and Castellanos, both with, you know, wrist injuries or hand injuries this year, just, you know, having hit – getting hit by pitches. It was – I think Jonathan and got hit like – I'm exaggerating here, but it felt like 74 times this year. Um so yeah, it was it's definitely kind of just like having that that combination of things. Um, Nothing in India
1: hurt per nine innings is a pretty high, probably like four and a half.
2: <laughs> Especially late in the year. It was like everything was hurting on him. So anytime he had to do anything, he was on the he was like taking a second. <laughs> Which you know, I'm 45, so I gotta take a second with anything, but you know, oh, that's yeah. just getting out of a chair. <laughs>
3: I'm 32 and I feel that way already. 32. So, you okay. know, um, kind of going through this season, you know, obviously we all know, like we said, it didn't end the way any of us wanted to. Um, but I think the theme that when we kind of talk to people and like, you know, our, our listeners who comment, we talk about stuff is, yeah, obviously it was very disappointing. But also it felt like in part of that, maybe just because it was the COVID year last year, it's the first year we we're back in the ballpark and things like that. But like a lot of the conversation that we've been having with people is even though it ended the way it did, it was like one of the most fun red seasons in a long time. When you kind of look at this season, obviously like how do you look at it and what, you know, what will you remember the most from this
2: time besides obviously Joey's home run streak? Um, I agree. I mean, I think especially through August um, they were one of the most fun team Reds teams. I remember, you know, I mean in 2012 uh, they were winning. Uh, They were a great team. Um, but I I didn't feel like they were quite as fun. I mean, not that they weren't fun, but I mean, winning by itself is fun. This team was like, it was what felt different about this team was that they were winning games that they didn't have in hand right away. And it didn't, it seems like it's been a while since we've had team, a team around here that's done that kind of stuff that has come back a lot. That is, um, you know, has, has been resilient in the way that they were, um, and then I felt like all of that was gone in September. I felt like they didn't have any of that mojo left. Uh, there was very little. I don't know. It was disappointing. It was. Um, so, in general, I would say that this was a fun team. Uh, I was not. I didn't expect them to go to the postseason. So, I wasn't. Um, I, I I wouldn't necessarily say I was disappointed. I was disappointed as the season went on that they weren't able to hang on and go to the postseason. But I didn't feel like this season was like they came up short of or my of my expectations. Um, but I thought for the most part they were a fun team. I I, I really wish Jesse had been healthy at the end of the year, um, and uh, and I and I really wish that they that had. Hey, have been able to at least maintain, even if they hadn't held on, they had at least been able to maintain um, that energy throughout September. Uh, And I would have felt a lot better going into the off season about just the team that they had put on the field.
1: Yeah. that, That vibe there at the end in September to me was like, felt like a minor league, like minor league September where everybody's like, you know we're pretty close to making the playoffs, but we're like, oh, we don't really care. Like, it's want the season to be over with. Like, yeah. there was no energy. I remember those multiple times, whether it was like on a text message with these guys, or even on here, I was like, they need like somebody to get hit on purpose, or some sort of something to get behind, because it was just, it just seemed so dead. Like it was the dog days of September, but it was
2: you uh, in a playoff race, right? so it just never felt right. And I'm sure it didn't help that that team in St. Louis was oh my playing gosh. out of their mind. Um, yeah. But, you know, thank God for David Bell that they, the Reds didn't do that because apparently it gets you fired.
3: <laughs> yeah, I saw that. And then the today, was it today the Brewers fired their hitting coach?
2: Oh, did they? I didn't apparently, see Yeah. That. It was either today or yesterday. See, this is what I haven't been on Twitter very much for the last couple of days. And the NBA started, so I've kind of switched gears a little bit.
3: I'm with you. I was watching the Bulls game tonight before we got on this. so.
2: No, I was watching the Pacers, and they were up like 20-something, and then they were losing by the time I left. So anyway, this is a baseball podcast. (laughs) As I say, uh, you know I do NBA
3: podcasts too, Joel, so we can talk about that another time. Um, So we do – I know uh, (laughs) we just did get a comment here from our guy Bryce Spalding. He's a friend of the program. He said, I know you don't memorize stats, Joel, but everyone has a favorite stat. What is yours? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> okay so i actually have a couple that i always go to because they're they're my favorites that i've found and i don't remember the exact details of them now so i apologize but um i want to say it was 2012 13 something like 14 i don't know one of those years that johnny coito was incredible uh he went the whole season without having a player steal second base against him and he was the first right-handed pitcher to pitch over 200 and whatever innings uh, to do that since Luis Tiant in 1967. Uh, so I, 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 I like that one. Um, and then the other one that I really like because it happened in a game and I was the only one that noticed it. I think um, there was a game in 2011, I think it was where um, it might've been 12 Miguel Cairo Uh, pinch hit to start to lead off the inning and walked on six pitches without swinging in any of the pitches and then came up to bat again in the inning, saw six pitches again, did not swing at a single pitch and struck out. And he was the first player ever in the history of the pitch data, which goes back to 88 to see 12 pitches in an inning and not swing at a single pitch. Um those those are those are two that I always think of when I think of things that I found that are things that um, that I didn't. I don't think anybody else really noticed. But that sounds like some
1: like sort of bet Joey would have with him. I bet you won't swing again. I bet you won't swing again. <laughs> <laughs> um, on
2: on the Cueto one, uh, he did have a stole. He did give up a stolen base that year. It was a steal of home, but I I argue if you go back and watch the play, it was a an attempted suicide squeeze where he threw a wild pitch. Ah. But they gave him a steal because the runner was already running when the pitch left the hand. And so he Ooh. got credit for a steal. It's the only steal he gave up the whole season, um, which is pretty incredible for a right-handed pitcher. But, you know, I mean, Cueto had an, has an incredible move. I don't know if he still does. I don't watch him as much anymore, but he did back then.
3: I think when you look at, like, stats like that, I think, like, some of my favorites were, like, not that I don't have them off the top of my head, but I remember Ricky Henderson just had this incredible statute of just like the weirdest stats of all time. It was like, and like, he's one of my like four favorite parts of all time. Like he's, yeah. you know, incredible. Obviously you could cut him in half. to would be two hall of famers as uh, a saying. Um, so like, he was one of those people that you would always like read those like goofy stats and like, you wouldn't even see the name. You're like that's a Ricky Henderson stat, isn't it? Like it's, he was just kind of that guy. Yeah. Nick, you're yeah. muted.
4: <laughs> new device, new product. Sorry, do not want everyone to hear my typing. I'm trying to do two things at once. not good at that. Um, so Joel is a, uh, a poor man statistician myself. Um, what What is something that I find a lot of things that uh, I wish there was a way to look something up and you probably know some of them that I don't. Is there something out there that you wish was... Um, easier to look up or something that, that isn't, um, you know what I'm saying? So something that that's missing from like our databases.
2: Um, a question that I get asked to look up from time to time is how often walks score. And I can look that up historically out of the retro sheet database, but I currently at this moment in time do not have a way of finding that in season. Um, it, I used to be able to do it. I used to download in-season data. Uh, uh, a gentleman named Dan Hirsch, who some of you may follow on Twitter, although he doesn't really tweet anymore, um, used to run a baseball site called the Baseball Gauge. And he would provide in-season data based off of the StatCast data. Um, and, then, uh, and so he used to provide that. And then Baseball Reference went and hired him. And now he doesn't maintain that data anymore. <laughs> So, um, so I, I do not currently have access to that, but that is certainly something that uh, I get asked to look up a a few times a year. And uh, I always, now I have to be like, well, I, I I used to be able to get that for you, but I can't anymore. And
4: and so that drives me nuts. Is that hard to explain to people? (laughs) Um,
2: yeah, I try to like with the announcers, I try to tell them that, uh, you know, Hey, I don't have, I don't have, well, like this year in the past, I have had current season data. Um, I didn't have it last year, but I was never with them. So it wasn't as big of a deal. Uh, but in the past i had had current season data, so I could look up that kind of stuff and be know confidently that, yes, this is, you know, this year, um, I, I I've been upfront with them. It's like, I can't look up everything I've, I've used to been, I've been able to look up. I'm, I'm actually one of my off season tasks this year is to, uh, try to do what Dan did and, and convert the data from StatCast into RetroSheet um, in season. So, I mean, that was my background. So I, I'm looking at Nick and Nick's kind of got a look of surprise on his face. But uh, uh, I worked in IT for 10 years before I started doing this stuff. And um, my background is actually database development. Specifically, I used to work in an area called ETL, which is Extraction, Transformation, and Loading, which is basically taking data from one data source, uh, doing a little work on it, and then putting it into a new uh, data supply. And so um, it, this is stuff that I'm familiar with. It's just that uh, the, the data formats are a little different than what I'm used to working with. So it takes me a little bit of time to figure it out.
3: No, I, I, th- I think. I think Nick definitely has a future in this though. Um, there was one day where I was like talking about a game. I was like, yeah, I was like, I can't remember. It was like, it was 97. Willie green hit a grand slam and Deion Sanders had a foul ball go off his head. And like 10 minutes later, Nick sent me a link to the YouTube clips of the highlights. It's like, Oh yeah. That's from St. Louis. So I'm like,
2: Oh, thanks man. That's You know what? That's always one of my favorite things. Like somebody posts, if somebody will post an old picture or something like that, that happens to have the scoreboard in it. And I always like, Oh, I'm going to go find out what's going on with that game. So like every year I post that picture of the six high school players from Cincinnati that were all in the reds in 1986. And that was one of the more fun ones to look up because in the scoreboard in the background, you can see that Greg Maddox is the starting pitcher for that day. Well, the only time Greg Maddox ever started when those six guys were all on the team was his first major league start. And so it was just coincidental that when they took that picture, a hall of famer was making his major, not his major league debut. He had pitched in relief previously. But a Hall of Famer was uh, making his first major league start that day. And so that's one of those is like, oh, that was really cool to find.
4: Is it hard not to get in rabbit holes (laughs) mid-game?
2: Sometimes it happens. Um, The the thing that almost always pulls me out of it is when I realize they're talking about something and I have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) So I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, oh, they just said something and I have no idea what the context is. And then I'll look over and like one of them will be like, well, what do you think? I'll be like, I don't know what you were talking about.
1: <laughs>
2: so that's a, that's a big no-no in my job. Um, and it was actually <laughs> something I had to learn uh, uh, pretty quickly was that uh, the most important thing to do is pay attention to what the announcers are talking about. Um, and, and that's so that's the number one priority. And then the, after that comes the trying to find stuff that is weird and unusual.
4: Yeah, I'd have a hard time with that. I'm always, when I'm watching a game, I'm always trying to find something and looking something up. And now that's, well, that's, that's, that's impressive that you're, you're doing the, the, the walks, uh, the, the walk sheet. That's I, uh, I want to just like have platoon numbers for Reds minor leaguers and thinking about like trying to put that together. And that's overwhelming to me. I can't imagine taking on a task like well, that.
2: So there used to be a site and I think he's reached re- Jeff Sackman used to do it. Um, it was called minor league splits and it used to have some decent splits like more than just what you see on baseball reference these days um and then i saw that he is he was one of those guys that i followed on twitter like eight years ago and then he disappeared because i think he got hired by a team perhaps but now he's back and so all of a sudden he starts showing up on my my feed again and i was like oh and so i looked and he's so if you look at like minor i think it's minorleaguesplits.com um there are some on there, but it's not very extensive yet. He
4: says he's still he's going to start building it out again or something. But so that would have like multiple years, mm-hmm. like career. That's awesome. Yeah, I have See, no idea. Carlos'
3: minor league stats. What's that? We could find Carlos's minor league stats on there. Uh,
2: probably.
4: So they have all they have all the minor league stats. They just don't have like so if you like if you wanted to look up um, Jonathan India's minor league splits. You know, versus left or right, again pitchers, you can only look up each year. You can't look up like right. the whole thing. And I don't oh, okay. And, and splits for one year, it, they can really you know vary a lot. And so it's nice to to have multiple years. You have to like calculate it yourself. It's, it's right insane. I don't understand why they do it like that, but yeah, I don't know. Like
3: this mm-hmm. is one of the stranger questions you get, like certain stats of certain players. Like how often do you get like, give me your most random, like Ken Griffey junior stat. Do you ever get like that stuff?
2: Uh, yeah. People give me, ask me that kind of stuff from time to time. Um, It's not all, it, honestly, it's usually not about specific players. Um, It's, you know, the stuff like what's your favorite stat or that, that kind of thing. And, um and so it, like I said, I always, I, I look this, most of this stuff up. So I rarely, I mean, the internet, I used to, when I was a kid, I had this stuff memorized, but then the internet came along and I stopped having to memorize this stuff. It was, and so my memory isn't as great as it used to be, except that I know I had, you know, maybe it's a memory, maybe it's just a sense for when things are something, you know? So when, when, you know, if something happens in a game, wow, this, this is not something that happens frequently. I bet I can go find out something, uh, you know, about that. So, um, but it's, it's not necessarily knowing off the top of my head. Well, yeah, this, this hasn't happened since 1988. Well, I mean, I, I get to that point eventually, but it's more because, wow, that was unusual. I wonder when the last time that happened was.
3: Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I remember like I asked you, you know, you get some uh, about one time there was like, It was 2012. I asked you about a game where the Reds were in San Francisco, but they were the home team because of a Mm makeup. And you had kind of broke down like how all that worked to me. And I was like, that's odd.
2: Yeah, well, that one's pretty, you know, it's a pretty memorable situation because I was actually working then. um, And so they canceled a game. I think the game was actually supposed to be on July 4th and they canceled the game. And the only time they could make it up is if they played it in San Francisco later on in the year. And so the Reds played in San Francisco as the home team. Yeah. I so remember weird. I remember that.
4: So. If only that would have ended in a walk-off, that would have been incredible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Do we want to talk about Mike Schultz? The the big news of the week? I want to hear Carlos's take on that.
1: I don't really have one. All I saw is <laughs> Padres are gonna interview him. Like, Oh man. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That was that's really weird. There have to be some major philosophy disagreements there. If I mean what three years in a row, right, to the playoffs that he's been there?
4: Yeah, it's definitely uh definitely bold i mean i'll give them that i mean they're they, they're they sticking to their convictions um man that's 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 tough i mean I, I i just assumed that they had their mind made up the beginning of september that they were gonna let him go and they weren't letting you know a fluky streak change their minds and so i don't know i credit them for their their conviction i guess you know it's uh Boy, if it back I hope it backfires on him because that will really uh, uh you know cause a, a splinter in the fan base and, and but I also haven't heard any players really publicly yeah. come out and say anything. I've kind of I've kind of been searching, kind of interested in- and I haven't really seen anything, so you know, maybe there is some stuff behind. Well, the, the
2: few quotes that I've seen have kind of been very vague. Vanilla, very yeah. vanilla. You know, not uh, not really saying which side they support either way.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't expect like a guy like Paul Goldschmidt to come out and trash the Cardinals. But if there's something, usually there's some sort of like hidden messages from a couple of the players or you start hearing, um, you know, uh, someone from the Athletic will say um, an unnamed player said this or, you know, something. And there really hasn't been anything. So I, I, I don't know. Take it for whatever it is. Just very... Very interesting move.
3: Well, you know, maybe Tony LaRusso will have a job soon. He can go back there. <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: Ugh. Yeah. How about the White Sox shells? Um, kind of curious your thoughts here, because I know we're kind of one of the things we've kind of been talking about is we're getting ready for this for the off season, you know, depending how this all goes with the CBA, of course, Um kind of looking at like arbitration for this year, obviously there's a lot of guys that are kind of popping up. Uh, the Reds have a pretty deep list guys like Luis Castillo, Tyler Naquin, Luis Sessa, uh, and the MLB trade rumor estimates kind of put them in a pretty decent mind. Is there like, if you looked into the arbitration stuff, Joel, do you have like any ideas of what who would you like? Perhaps would like the Reds to keep and like,
2: like work, work deals or, you know, I, I don't pay attention to the money as much as I used to. Um, outside of options and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Partly because I can't really put my finger on, on what the reality is about the financial situation with the team. Um, You know, even if they, even if they do have money that they're not willing to spend, if they're saying they're not going to spend the money, then they don't have that money to spend. Right. So uh, the, the question is, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I hope they keep most of the guys, you know, I, there's there's, I think there's a lot of, I I think there's a good core on the team. Um, It'd be nice if they could keep Nick Castellanos too, but I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, you know, I I don't want to be critical, but I, I think that the one problem contract really is, is shoko and that's you know whether shoko can play in the big leagues or not i i'm not one to judge on that he hasn't shown a lot in the big league so um but he hasn't also been given a ton of opportunity um but either way he's was still owed like eight million dollars next year and that's that's a pretty significant chunk for a guy that right now doesn't have a position you know he you know where's he going to play is he going to be the center fielder? I doubt it. Um, you know, is he going to play over Naquin? I doubt it. You know, he's not obviously not going to play over Winker, and so you know that's a lot of money to give to a guy that really doesn't have a place to play. So, I, I think if they had one contract that they if they could take it back, they would, and that would probably
4: be him. I think Mustakas might be up there too, depending yeah, on it's close. depending on how how good his offseason is.
2: I uh, Mustakas would be playing if he, if he was healthy. Um, And so they knew that risk going in the, the risk with Shogo was different because they didn't even know if he could play in the big leagues. And, and so I think the mistake, I I don't think they can send him down. I think he, you know, I think he would have to approve getting sent down. Um, And so, I mean that's a mistake. You don't you don't know if this guy's going to be able to play in the big leagues. I mean with Mustakis it was the risk of hey, you, know, you signed an older guy to a four year deal that's you might run into problems there, but you know that one is one of those that just didn't work out. I think with Akiyama it was it was a risk money wise for a guy that you just you didn't even have any kind of clue how he was going to perform in the big leagues.
1: Yeah, yeah, even with Moose I mean he can still you know. Fill a, fill a DH spot against yeah. right-handed hitters. It's more than likely going to come up. Shogo's not going to be a DH. Like, right. It's just, yeah, I'm with you with that one, Joe. I think Shogo's is, is probably the, the hardest pill to swallow of the two. I,
2: and I think the unfortunate thing for Shogo, partly because if he was successful, I, like when he had that, that month that he had in 2020, um, he was fun to watch. I just don't think his style of play works at Great American Ballpark because um, he's not a threat to put the ball over the fence. Uh, he's not a threat to put the ball over the outfielder's head. And so that just shrinks the outfield. And so I thought this back when Willie Tavares came to town. and you know, he could have been a guy that a guy that was successful at Colorado, not because he hit the ball over the fence, but because it was such a big outfield and he was a slap hitter that that worked for him. I, I just don't think those kind of guys are going to work at Great American Ballpark. Um, you may you may stumble across somebody that does it, but they're going to be more much more of a line drive gap hitter than somebody that's just dumping the ball in front of the outfielder, which is what it looks like. Shogo's game would be in the big leagues.
3: Yeah, he had been pretty killer like in the polo grounds if he was in that time.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't
2: think they would have let him play there though, back in that
3: no, day. that's true. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah.
4: I don't I don't necessarily like fault the Reds at all for either contract. I think if you look you have to think back to you know where we were pre COVID when the Reds were making these signings. And Mustakas was really there wasn't a whole lot of there wasn't a massive free agent class. It wasn't like the Reds just had all these players to choose from and they were ready to compete. And I think Mm -hmm. if you look look back now at that 2020 team, when you saw kind of the offense this year, what they were capable of if they would have had that full season Um, and they had the Cy Young winner. And, and, And I think, man, it's like, wow, you kind of look back that was a, a, a really well built team and it just you know was just unfortunate the way that it played out i think akiyama i think he was fine with the payroll that they were going to have as kind of a risk you know because the payroll was i think 30 million 40 million more i think it's fine to take that kind of risk when you have that but now that you've had to cut back i, I think that's where it it really becomes more magnified i think it would have been on oh, whatever seven million dollars a year that's not that big of a deal you know when you have more more wiggle room but yeah i don't know these arbitration estimates usually i can like pick through and say oh that one's not really good they all are pretty fair and they all seem yeah. pretty pretty valuable one, i guess is the one that it's, it's at 3.6 million. I, I'm a big fan of Naquin. I, and especially the Reds don't have a lot of, of, of good outfielders if, if Cassianos has gone and. but that's maybe the one where you could cut some change if, if you're trying to, you know, make a dent in, in, what you could be more flexible with. And then I guess Hoffman, but man, you know, 1.1 million for a guy that has the, the, the starting pitching insurance that he has, they all, they all look good. I, I don't know.
3: 1.1 yeah, I mean, billion for Nixon Zell is totally worth the risk.
4: Oh,
2: yeah. I suspect Garrett's on the bubble. Um, really. Yeah. It, only because he just like I just never I never saw anything from him where I felt like he's got it figured out now. It was the same stuff throughout the whole year. Like, there wasn't you didn't see the, that adjustment. I mean, and maybe Carlos can speak to it a little better than I can because. Uh, Anytime I start talking to pitchers in in front of uh, former pitchers, I always end up looking like an idiot. Um, But I just never saw anything from him where I thought, okay, now, now I see what he's doing differently and it seems to be working.
1: Yeah. I've been, I I talked about that throughout the year. It's just, even whenever he had a couple of good outings in a row, it was like, you know, he was getting swing and misses, you know, up and away when he was trying to go, you know, down and in like, Mm -hmm. We're just missing his spot so bad, if his his slider was was never there anymore, I don't at all this year. I don't know if it was you know the sticky stuff or what, but it just wasn't there. And there were even shades of that at the end of 2020, to where we came into this year thinking like you know it can be good, but it's not somebody that we can count on, you know. And then th- that right away, whenever you're one of the lone left-handed relievers in the bullpen, that kind of hurts. Um, but I mean, at this point, I guess you got to at least bring him through spring training because I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to have to owe him like 500,000 or something like that if, if he doesn't make the team. Um, I, I think it's worth the risk, um, bringing him back just to see maybe he did figure something out. But yeah, that's if it's going to be a repeat of this year or even slightly better, then I don't think it's worth the man worth a two million.
4: I just I have a hard time believing that they're gonna non-tender him because it felt like most of the second half they were hiding him in the bullpen because he had no options. So to me it would be really strange. I mean, you know, there's always strange moves that don't really totally make sense, but it'd be a little strange that why what, not they have just you know DFA'd him during the season last year because he clearly, you know, towards the end of the year was you know there was you know you had better Better options, you know, and, and better use of your roster spot.
2: And, and maybe some of it comes down to what happens with Justin Wilson. Um, yeah, you know, if he if he ends up taking up his his option, because clearly the Reds aren't going to pick up their their set the seven million dollar option. Um, but if he ends up taking up his op- his side of the option, um, then that may it may seal it for Garrett. Then. Having a lefty that's already there at $2 million or whatever. It's around, I don't know exactly what his number is, but it's around $2 million. Yeah. Cool.
3: You know, the Yankees have this lefty. He had a pretty rough year. I hear they're one to trade guys and pay a lot of salary. I don't know. What do you guys think about maybe rolled his Chapman coming back to Cincinnati? It
2: Where's would our, only yeah. be fitting if they traded way more than they got for him. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah, Eric Jagailo. I was so high on Eric Gailo when he came out of Notre Dame.
2: You can't you can't trade. The sad thing is is you literally can't trade any of the players that you required for him because all of them are out of the out of play or no longer playing. And one of them's a pitching coach.
3: Yeah, that's the thing. Like when people talk about like the Homer Bailey trade, like, well, like Camp and Puig and those guys didn't really pan out. It's like they got living, breathing humans for the Homer Bailey contract. Like right. they won the trade no matter what happened. Pretty much.
4: And yeah, Kyle yeah. Farmer. Yeah. Which... Yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> I, I think that, I don't know, I think if you're looking at that, I think there's probably one guy on that list that the Reds will non tender. There's always someone they non tender that I just am surprised at. I think probably one, I think there's probably a couple of those guys maybe get traded this offseason. I see a guy like Amir Garrett, and I go, he's a Dodger next year. They're going to be the same way we can take that risk. You know, we'll, we'll pay that, you know, two-ish million that he's going to be uh, getting arbitration, and uh, we'll take a risk on him. And if it doesn't work, we just we DFA him. I, I think he does have, maybe it's not a lot of trade value, but I think he has at least enough to get you something something for him and they'll take the the contract.
2: I'm with it. I think you're optimistic.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Something. I'm not saying a lot. I I I mean,
2: I'm not trying to bash on on Gary. I'm trying to be realistic. I think about what he showed on the field and, and how that's going to translate into his future. And like, I just, like I said, I just didn't see a whole lot of a, what appeared to be adjustments to me. And now I'm not a, you know, I'm not a pitching coach, so I'm not going to act like I, I know exactly. I just saw a lot of the same stuff the whole year.
3: Yeah. It almost kind of feels like the worst thing that happened to him was him like declaring himself the closer. Yeah. Cause everything after that just felt like it
2: went downhill. See, I, I, I'm going to add, I love the for, confidence. I'm going to advocate for not setting specific goals at the very beginning of the season and then boasting about them. <clears throat> 50
4: home runs. No. Um, <laughs> No goals. We're, now, we're no, no, Joe, no goals on this team. Now, of course, Joey told
2: everybody that he was gonna hit the ball for damage, and he did. So yeah, but he's Joey.
3: Right.
4: Yeah. They, they gotta be more vague, more no no <laughs> no numbers attached to them.
3: I would like to do this in a roundabout way to a certain extent. That's I want to be good do. or or something.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we joke all the time too, because we're talking about like obviously. Everything we say kind of also depends on what happens with the CBA and, you know, will we have a full season next year? But, like, we looked at, like, we've, you know, kind of doing this. We've looked at, like, the off season and, like, the, the people who are, like, free agents and it's like, you know, yeah, you're more than likely going to lose Nick Castellanos, but who you fill that in with, it's like, you know, we I've joked a few times, like, I, I really hate the thought of Andrew McCutcheon playing for the Reds, but sometimes it kind of makes sense salary-wise for next year, but I don't want it.
4: He destroys left-handed pitching still. I kind of like Andrew McCutcheon.
2: So. He would played well in
4: I feel like he played well at in Great American Oh, I remember left, he did. Playing left field, well, winker DHing. See, you can't
2: you can't say you remember he did because the Reds pitching in that era was terrible. That's true. But I was at the All-Star game in Cincinnati when he had a homer into the bleachers.
4: Wow! And he won the MVP in
2: 2013. He did. Yeah, but That pitching was pretty good. Yeah, that team was
4: pretty good. I guess they were decent. <laughs> Just casual ninety wins, you know, no big <laughs> deal. We see, day we day. see that all the time. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's that's nothing in Cincinnati. Cut should be yeah. I don't know. I'm not loving it, but obviously, you know, the Tucker thing. I feel like we're we're talking about a backup, a new backup catcher next year for Tyler. Not that Tucker was the backup by any means, but that market's not exactly got to go get that guy either. So.
4: I just, I don't see any way that if you really dig through like the payroll, a spot track is a really good website to kind of look through it. If you, you dig through it. I just, I don't see how they pick up that option. Just, just, unless they're going to just, you know, run out, you know, TJ Friedel in the outfield starting every day next year. I just, or they're significantly increasing payroll, which I don't see that either. That's a shame tj friedel I, or tucker <laughs> I,
2: I, personally i would pick up the option but it's not my money so
4: yeah paying
2: eight million dollars for that catching tandem is a pretty good catching tandem for eight million dollars
4: but i agree not At, my money yeah they're gonna have to cut somewhere it? It, it, I'd, wherever I'd they s- cut it's not gonna be good
2: i'd spend everywhere though so <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> if <laughs> i had
2: two billion dollars i'd spend everywhere
3: I feel like it's going to be Sonny. I feel like Sonny Gary might have probably pitched his last Reds game.
2: I wouldn't, I I wouldn't be surprised if Sonny gets traded. Not that I want him to, and not that I think they should, but I think that's, I think you can get, you probably get some decent value for him. $10 million or whatever it is that he's making next year for a pitcher that could, has a potential to be a frontline starter.
4: Yeah. It seems like the most logical trade chip that doesn't, you know, kill your future, um, can really improve this year, but also, you know, not going to kill you in, in 2020, 2022. And, you know, Gray has had a lot of injury concerns the last, you know, while he's been here, he's been legitimately one of the best pitchers in baseball since he's been in Cincinnati, especially in in that ballpark. But I I almost wonder if, if, you know, the Reds got all they're going to get out of him you know, um, Hmm.
2: And then I'll be the first to say that Luis Castillo is going to get traded to the Yankees. Yeah, we'll start that rumor mill <laughs> because they wanted that,
4: wanted him for years. That off season
2: <laughs> rumor mill that happens every year.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh boy, uh, the Yankees fans are pretty pissed right now. There and Boone got another contract, so yeah,
2: they're always angry,
3: aren't they? It's kind of fun. Like I don't really care for the Yankees, but I listen to like some New York Yankee podcasts just because their fans are insane. And I just mm-hmm. really love like how they're mad at everything.
2: Well, I mean, it's been like, what, 12 years since they've won a title. So Only, uh, yeah. Can a team really go that long
4: without winning? <laughs> our hearts go out.
3: Yeah. yeah, our condolences. What about Chris Bryant? Is Chris Bryant going to play for the Reds next year, right? No. Right, guys? <laughs> no? No? Okay.
2: I mean, he good. would fit, but only because he plays every position on the field, so
3: that was the that was the reds twitter one this like for a few weeks there i was like why don't they have chris brian it's like i don't think it's that easy <laughs> could have been right nick <laughs> could have been <laughs> <laughs> oh perfect uh is there anything else we want to touch on before we roll out here today you guys got anything or
4: no no just thanks so much joel for coming on and uh Thanks for all the the great content you uh, provide our our fellow John with during the broadcast. It's always uh, uh, top notch, and I know that you're the the, the man behind uh, the curtain.
2: Well, I'll say this: um, John is incredibly prepared, like over prepared. Um, and so the challenge this year was to find out where I can fit in in that situation, and it was it was a challenge early on. So. But it was ended up being a pretty fun year. Um, he's a great guy to work with. I, anything you see from him in person, um, he's legitimately that guy. He's the nicest guy, um, and uh, you know. So I I have I feel like I have to pump him up a little bit since he said so many nice things about me last time. So, um, but he is he's he's uh, legitimately a great a great human being.
4: So. I remember the the first time he announced the defensive linemen and he started saying their defensive run saved. I about fell out of my chair. I was, I was so excited.
3: (laughs) He also made reference that you're a big pop culture buff. Uh, has he told you about our Hawaiian shirt pop culture podcast coming soon? Uh, I, well,
2: I, I did listen last week and I, or Hmm. i the show last week. And I, uh, I saw the shirt. I actually have that same shirt because I too donated to the, um, to the res community fund. And so, uh, at some point he and i will just go out of uh, go out on the town in our uh, <laughs> in our, our red hawaiian shirts take pictures please looking yeah. looking like the uh, the guys from the Roxbury brothers or whatever we'll just sit there <laughs> the butavis i love it white pants and
1: hawaiian shirts yeah
2: yeah you you you
1: you
3: me, him, him, me, him. Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, Joel, as we said, thanks for having you for Joel for hanging out with us today. Also, thank you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, if you count the promo video today, like we said, we're now part of the Belief Podcast Network. Um, and yes, I am giving away some of my favorite baseball cards from my collection. All it is is simply following us on Twitter at Late Reds and leaving a nice five-star review with your name in the review. We enter your name in the contest. We'll let you guys know at the beginning of November who gets to take these two beauties home. So thank you all so much. Have a great night and go Reds.